And tonight we are carrying on our short series looking at the book of Ruth together. Last time, two weeks ago, we saw that the people of Israel, they've they'd hit rock bottom, hadn't they? It was the desperate days of the judges where there was no king, but every man did what was right in their own eyes. And the author zooms in amongst the chaos, zoomed in onto one small family. Remember the story, Naomi and her husband Elimelech there, and their two sons went to Moab to try and find food. There was famine in the land of Israel. And there was a tragedy. Limelech, he, he died. The two sons, they get Moabite wives, but then they die. The sons die. Which left this widow Naomi with her two Moabite daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. But then there's a glimmer of hope. They hear the famine is over and the people of Israel, they've returned to God. So Naomi says that these these two women, her daughters-in-law, should go back to their own families, find husbands there, and Orpah does. But Ruth, she clings to Naomi. She turns to follow God, and so Ruth and Naomi return to Israel. Things are a bit better but still tough. The famine is over. They are still two poor widows. And what we'll see is Ruth goes out to glean in the fields and a local landowner notices her. If we're honest, it's not really edge of your seats type stuff, is it? If this was a film, I can't imagine it winning any Academy Awards this week. But if we open our eyes... What we see here is that in everyday events, something remarkable is going on. Because in it all, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, we see God is at work in the ordinary affairs of everyday people fulfilling his promises. Ordinary people like this family here and ordinary people like us. Last week, we, of course, had uh, David Courtier in the evening on a side note, David Gibson, great guy, uh, he is a minister of Trinity Church in Aberdeen, and we look forward to having him with us uh, next Sunday morning. Back to Ruth. David caught us here uh, last Sunday, so we, didn't, we don't have our four-week block to look at uh, Ruth 1, 2, 3, and 4. So tonight, we are doing two chapters, Ruth 2 and 3. So what that means is, uh, we've got a feast of God's Word tonight, so you may not be able to enjoy the delicacies and intricacies of a fine dining meal. Instead, we've got some good pub grub tonight, a big feed that hopefully will fill us up. Because what we see in these chapters is that experiencing God's sovereign, sovereign grace causes us to live faith-filled lives. That's the big thing we're going to see in these two chapters. We've read Ruth chapter 2. We'll read Ruth chapter 3 when we come to it. But let me pray and ask God for his help this evening. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit who speaks to us by and through your word. So may you speak to us this evening, we ask. May you raise our affections to Christ this evening as we look at your word. May it be a helper of our joy as we look to Christ. 
Help us this evening to trust you, to rejoice in you. You are all we have. And it's in the name of Christ, our King, we pray. Amen. So in Ruth uh, chapter 2, going to the next slide, we've got four characters in uh, the chapter. What I want to do is just go through each of the characters. Let's look at the first one. We've got Boaz, and he displays godly grace. Have a look at verse 1 of chapter 2. And notice, as Boaz, he has mentioned already, we know more than Ruth and Naomi does. He's introduced, I think, quite like uh, a good guy in a pantomime. I wonder if you've ever been to the pantomime before. The bad guy comes on dressed in black. They're scowling. Immediately you go, that's a bad guy. The good guy comes on. They're dressed well. They're well-spoken. Straight away, you know, that's the good guy. This is like Boaz here. Straight away, we know Boaz is a good guy. He's a man of standing. What does that mean? It means he's strong. He's courageous. He's an able guy. He's from the clan of Elimelech. We hear that and we go, ah, this guy is going to be important to the story. Have a look at verse 4 where we see his first words. He's, he's a godly man. He says to the harvesters, the Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, sorry, and the uh, Lord be with you. And the harvesters, like good Anglicans, respond, and also with you. He's a good, godly man. It's interesting, he, he greets people, I think, the same way whether he was uh, on the Sabbath with them or working with them. He has no sacred, secular divide, Boaz. He's just a good, godly man. But he's also a gracious man as well. In verse 2, Ruth asks that she may be able to, uh, to go and work behind anyone in whose eyes she finds favor or literally finds Grace, and this is exactly what she gets from Boaz. Boaz, he arrives at a field and straight away, he notices this woman on the edge of the field. And he says, who's that? His farm manager goes, oh, she's the, the Moabite woman who came back from Moab with Naomi. See, there's, there was a law at the time where God told those harvesting to, to leave the outsides, to not go back and pick up anything that they dropped so that the poor could have something to eat. And to some, it might look like, well, Ruth's a foreigner. She's, she's coming in. She's taking advantage of the benefit system here. But the law made it clear that they are to care not just for their own poor, but for all poor. Thankfully, Boaz's farm manager, he, he took the law seriously and he lets her glean. But notice how Boaz speaks to her. The farm manager, she's that Moabites from Moab. But Boaz, my daughter, stay here and work with the other woman. Don't labor on your own. I've told the men not to touch you. You're, you're safe here. It's hot. If you're tired and thirsty, grab a can of iron brew from the cool box. Obviously, he doesn't literally say that. But Ruth is amazed at how he's treating her. She asks him, why? Why are you treating me so well? Boaz says, I know all about you. When I hear that, I'm worried when people say that to me. 
He says, I know all about you, but Ruth doesn't have to worry. He speaks about her, her commitment to Naomi and asks that she too might be rewarded as well. Have a look at verse 12. May the Lord, Yahweh, repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. See, in Boaz's eyes, Ruth isn't the Moabitess who came back from Moab. In Boaz's Boaz's eyes, Ruth's a member of the family, a member of the covenant people of God. Together, the two of them under his sovereign, caring wings. And so it should be for all of us together under God's covenant wings. There's no no racism here. There's no no chauvinism, no snobbery, no inverse snobbery. And Boaz himself, he goes beyond the letter of the law. He gives Ruth her lunch. He gets his workers to give her more in verse 15. what, What a gracious man he is. She doesn't deserve these things, but he gives them to her. And isn't that what grace is? Boaz does all this for a foreign beggar and her mother-in-law. Two women who have done nothing for him. Two women who can offer him nothing. And so they get to experience the grace of God through Boaz. Boaz, he is a man of godly grace. Let's turn and look at Ruth. We saw how she experienced God's grace to her through Boaz. But I want to take a slightly different angle here looking at Ruth. The chapter begins and the women, they are, they are poor, they're in great need. And Ruth, she takes the initiative She isn't sitting back at home watching Bargain Hunt. She trusted God enough to come to Bethlehem. And so she trusts God enough to go out and to look for food. And she works hard. She works really hard in a hot sun, but does so while trusting God. You see, Ruth, seeking grace in verse 2, looks like her laboring depending on God's grace. See, when we depend on God's grace, it doesn't mean passive activity, See, so often God works through our work. Lord, please help me be patient with so-and-so. But we also need to guard our tongue. Lord, please bring my friend to Christ. But we also need to look for opportunities to speak. Lord, please guide me. But we still have to make decisions. Lord, please help me work behind somebody in whose eyes I find favor. But I still have to go out and do that work. See, Ruth trusts God's word. And she works her socks off. She arrives early at a field. She, she asks for permission. She doesn't have to do that. And she's well looked after. She takes one short break in the hot sun and then it's back to work and then lunch. She then goes back to work and she keeps on working to evening and then she goes and threshes. She must have been exhausted. 
in all of this, Ruth recognizes that what she has worked hard for came from another. Verse 10, at this she bowed down with her face to the ground. She exclaimed, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me a foreigner? Verse 13, may I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord. You have given me comfort and have spoken kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servant girls. She is stunned by the amazing grace of Boaz, and yet she still had to labor, though. And when she gets back to Naomi, there's no sense of, look how much I've done today. See, in our culture, we, we often have a sense of entitlement, don't we? You're amazing. You deserve happiness. You're, you're, you're worth it. A really good book on that, actually, is Glenn Harrison's book, The Big Ego Trip. What does that lead to when we have this entitlement mentality? Well, it means that we're never satisfied. And if something good comes our way, well, of course I deserve it. If I don't get something, well, God or somebody has treated me badly. So the Bible says that we don't deserve anything from God. We've all turned away from him. But before God, we are all beggars. And yet he gives us all things. See, to God, we are, we are, guess, like foreigners. But when we take refuge under his wings, he treats us not as enemies like the Moabites. Instead, he treats us as family, like Boaz does to Ruth. What about Naomi? Naomi, she hit rock bottom, remember? So much so she wanted people to call her a different name, Mara, which means bitter. Chapter 2 opens and she's still feeling down. Naomi, she's lost all the energy. She's, she's just passive. But what a change at the end of, of the chapter, though. How's that come about? Well, Ruth, she's returned home with her doggy bag. She's got leftovers from lunch. She's got an, an effath of barley. We should be amazed at that. That's enough to feed someone for weeks. And she's got it in one day. Naomi rightly is like, who gave you all of that? Boaz, Ruth says. Boaz, says Naomi in shock. He's our guardian redeemer. He's our kinsman redeemer. Now, what's that? Why is that such a big deal for him? Well, this was a cultural practice in Israel where if a man in the family died and he left behind a wife or children or land, it was the guardian redeemer's responsibility to marry the widow, to take up the land, and to protect the family lines. It was a loving thing because it meant that the widow could survive. And it's amazing, Boaz doesn't know he is their guardian redeemer yet. And yet already, such grace, such kindness, he's showing this family. And Naomi, she is, she is overjoyed. She's come to experience God's grace to her in Boaz. And look at her response in verse 20. The Lord bless him. That is Boaz. 
he, that is God, has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. This is often how God works today. We experience God's grace through his people, the church. And Naomi before, she could only see bad things. But now she sees God's kindness in his actions through Boaz. One preacher says, even when refuge under God's wings only seems to cast a shadow in our lives, at the right time, God will let us peek out and see the sunrise coming. And that's what we see here in Naomi's life. It was once dark and now she's been able to peek out from under God's wings and she sees that sunrise coming. Perhaps you're here and you feel like Naomi once did. Bitter, broken, lost all energy for life. Life feels like darkness. Perhaps spiritually God has seemed far, far away for a long, long time. Naomi realizes here that God was at work in her darkness. He hasn't forgotten her. He always has been at work, and tears a sign of it. And if that description is a description of you, one day the darkness in your life will lift. We pray to God it's in this life. If not, it will be in the next life when we see the light of Christ. And then we shall see that he's at work in all things for his loving purposes. And he has not forgotten you. Naomi recognizes God's hand and her response is godly gratitude. Finally, the fourth character, the God of sovereign faithfulness. He's always sovereign. I hope we get that. I hope we're getting that as we look at these chapters this evening. He's always in control whether we see it or not. And this is the whole way through the chapter, right from the first verse. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Why does the author mention Boaz here? Imagine if verse 1 wasn't there. By the time we get to verse 20, and we find out he's a guardian redeemer, it'd be an amazing surprise, wouldn't it? Instead, verse 1 is included because the author wants us to see that none of this is coincidence. It's all the guiding hand of a gracious, sovereign God. Think back to last week. It was, it was the Lord who stopped the famine. It was ultimately the Lord who bound Ruth to Naomi. It's the Lord who's preserved Boaz for Ruth. And we see that Ruth and Naomi at the start of the chapter they need food, and it just so happened to be the barley harvest. They just so happened to go to a field that belongs to Boaz, who just so happens to belong to the clan of Elimelech. And Boaz just so happens to arrive at the same time as she does. See, God is working in it all. In things that are seen and things that are unseen, that's what we call providence. I think we need to be a bit careful, though, here as well. There's a temptation. There was a real comfort in providence. Huge comfort in providence. 
There's also a temptation, at least for people like me, to overanalyze God's providence. Because this has happened, God must mean I do that. No, that's wrong. We don't determine what the end result is. We just determine that God is doing all things. God is sovereign. And God is faithful as well. This word love and kindness that's used in verse 20. It just says kindness here in this translation. It's the word to describe God's covenant, faithful love. That God is absolutely committed to his promise. In the same way as Ruth bound herself to the Lord and to Naomi, the Lord in an even greater way has bound himself with his covenant promises to Israel for the world. He's promised the warmth of his fellowship, the security of his faithfulness. This is the same language here in verse 20. Has he not stopped showing his covenant, faithful, promising love to the living and the dead? See, God is faithful. God said that he's faithful to his promises even if it kills him. And it did kill him. Because on the cross we see where God is faithful to his promise to bless. And to his promise to punish evil. See, on the cross, Jesus took the punishment that we deserve. So that we may be eternally blessed. And he did this because he's a sovereign, faithful God. Let's look on and have a look at Ruth chapter 3. Let me read that for us. One day, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you while you be well provided for? Is not Boaz, with whose servant girls you've been with, a kinsman of ours? Tonight you'll be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor But don't let him know that you are there until he's finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. I will do whatever you say, Ruth answered. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of night, something startled the man, and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter... Don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am near of kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem, good, let him redeem. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. Verse 
So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized, and he said, Don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, Bring me the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. When she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and put it on her. Then he went back, back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. I wonder if you noticed anything as we uh, heard Ruth to you earlier and read Ruth chapter 3 there. See, can you see it or not? Yeah, great. The two of them, that actually parallels the two chapters. So I think it's not necessarily a bad thing that we're looking at the two chapters together this evening. As you can see, the two, the almost identical, begins with Ruth and Naomi alone, and they agree Ruth should go somewhere. Boaz asks who Ruth is, and he's told. Boaz asks Ruth to stay and declares her worthy of blessings. Ruth returns to Naomi and tells her what has happened, and Naomi gives her advice. Very similar, chapters in parallel. So the question is then, what's the difference between the two? Well, I think there's two main ones. First off, setting. Ruth takes place where? It's, it's, an, it's an open field. It's, it's daylight. Everyone can see. Ruth 3, however, it's private. It's, it's dark. It's intimate. It's personal. You go through and there's, there's a lot of lying down language used here. Second difference, the subject of Ruth 2. We see it in the first line. It's Boaz. Boaz is center stage under the spotlight of God's sovereign, gracious hand. And Ruth 3, the focus changes to the faith-filled response of people who've experienced God's grace. Again, let's go through the characters we see here. Let's look at Naomi first and her faith-filled planning. So Naomi, she is revived, isn't she? She's like a new woman. She's brought back to life and she takes the initiative at the start of the chapter. She wants to find Ruth literally rest. If you've got one of these red Bibles, it's quite a helpful thing for you. Have a look at it. My daughter, should I not try to find you a home? Little a. Let's look at the bottom of the page. Hebrew actually means to find rest. What does that mean? See Ruth chapter 1 verse 9. Chapter 1 verse 9. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. So what Naomi is basically saying here is, I want to find your husband. See, the difference here with Naomi compared to the last chapter is that her hope in God has come alive. She had that desire in chapter 1. Life got sour for her, and she's come alive again by God's grace. See, only I think what we see here is that only hopeful people plan. Only hopeful people strategize. Here's a great line from David Meredith. The only dreamers who get anything done have plans. Now, why is that? Because they trust in a God who is sovereign and a God who will keep his promises. 
See, this is why we tell people the gospel. This is why the CU are putting on a week of events in Dundee and in Abertay. Because they've come to experience the grace of God. They know that he is sovereign. They know that he will fulfill his promise to save all for whom Christ died for. This is why we plant churches. This is why we, we, we live in Charleston and want to set a church up there. Because the grace, grace of God has enabled us to have faith-filled planning. Because God is faithful and he is in complete control. Let's look at Naomi's plan itself, though, to find Ruth her husband. And let's be honest, it's odd. Plan's good, find a wife, strategy, it's odd. I don't dwell too much on it. Um, but she recognizes that Boaz is a relative. And therefore, in Hebrew custom, he's, he's a likely candidate to marry Ruth. And what's the best way to do that, according to Naomi? Well, to get up in his face, basically. Or rather, his feet. And so she encourages Ruth to, to clean herself up, to, to get dressed up, to no longer dress like uh, a widow mourning, and to go to the threshing floor, to sneak in and to lie down at his feet. I can't help but sort of asking, come on, Naomi. Where do you think this might end up? Naomi says, he will tell you what to do. See, Naomi clearly wants Boaz to marry Ruth. But the way she's going about it, it's odd. I mean, why not just talk to him? Sure, that's a reasonable thing to do. But the whole thing, it's, it's ambiguous. It's, it's full of suspense in the story. Let's not lie, it's, it's sexually tempting. And what does it mean to lie at his feet? Parallel, perpendicular, head to toe. I'm, the whole thing's just a bit vague. What's going to happen here? In light of Naomi's faithful planning, we see Ruth's faith-filled risk-taking. Ruth said that she'll do exactly what Naomi says, but actually, she does more. She tells Boaz why she's come in her own words. She says, I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment, or literally spread the corner of your wing over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Now notice why Ruth asks him to do this. It's not because they've, they've locked eyes, as I avoid to not lock eyes on anybody. It's not because there's some sort of moment between the two. But because he's a guardian redeemer, a kinsman redeemer. This whole thing's risky though. Boaz, he, he could have taken this as an offer for her to sleep with him. It's a huge risk. But Boaz could be, could be shocked about it and Ruth could get an awful reputation. It's a risk for Ruth. So why does she do it? Well, because she's calling in the covenant promises and asking Boaz to honor them. Not just by his generous gleamings, but by marriage. I think Ruth is brilliant. Just think about what she's doing here. Ruth, the widowed Moabite woman, is telling a Jewish man what to do in relation to the law of God. What a woman! And I wonder, did you notice the similarities here of what Boaz said to Ruth in chapter 2? The language of spread my wings over you. See, this, this language doesn't just appear here in Ruth. 
appears as well in Ezekiel chapter 16. Let me read it for you. This is the Lord speaking to Israel. Later I passed by, and when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love, I spread the corner of my garment, the corner of my wing over you, and covered your naked body. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord. And you became mine. Ruth is saying to Boaz here, you are the redeemer. You are the one who can redeem our family from being lost. And I want you to do that. I want to be your wife. I want to be the one to whom you commit your faithfulness, with whom you make this marriage covenant. See, in the field, Ruth was brought under Boaz's wing. Now at night, she chooses to go under it. She chooses not to go after the younger men but to go after the guardian redeemer because she knows about the covenant God and she is faithful to him. So she is willing to take risks. Naomi in her faith-filled planning, Ruth into faith-filled risk and Boaz in his faith-filled strength. Let's remember the scene. It's, it's dark, the sky, it's full of stars. It's, it's a lovely evening. And Boaz lies beside the woman who he's been caring for, a woman who he's been thinking about. And she's, she's lying there. She wants to marry him. He wants to say yes. Why not just have sex now? They're going to anyway, surely. Well, because Boaz's theology is stronger than his biology. Just look at what he says in verses 10 to 13. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it's true I am near of kin, there is a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night and in the morning. If you want to redeem, good, let him redeem but if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. See, Boaz, he's amazed at Ruth. He calls her a woman of noble character, like the woman in Proverbs 31. And he says, I will do as you ask. But there's another man who can redeem you before I can. I've, I've got to speak to him first. They're alone, they're under his cloak, there's a desire for one another. And for the sake of righteousness, nothing physical happens. What a couple this is. What strength comes when we realize our, our theology, our understanding about God is stronger than our biology. That when we experience God's grace towards us, as we trust in his promises, it gives us strength to be faithful to him. We live in an age where everyone does what they feel. At times, your, your passionate feelings might rage inside of you. Confused feelings in your mind that the world has taught you may, may tear your heart apart. What you believe about God and his word, your theology is stronger than your biology because God is greater than any fleeting pleasures, any passing trends. What it means as well is that if you've, if you've fallen... 
if you've not acted like Boaz and Ruth, if you've failed sexually or if you've entertained worldly ideas of sexuality and gender. Just remember the offspring who would come from Boaz and Ruth, the Lord Jesus Christ. In him there is forgiveness. In him there is cleansing. Finally, let's look at the faithful God who acts. The chapter ends with Naomi. She's no longer empty. She's more grain again as a cliffhanger. The characters in the story, they've all experienced God's grace and so faith and so live faith-filled lives because they know the covenant God in whom they've put their trust. They know that, God, that he's a God of love and kindness, of covenant, of covenant love. They act because they know that he is the God who acts. If I have a look at verse 18. Wait. Wait until you find out what happens. We've seen that faith-filled lives, lives who, who've been grasped by the grace of God, are lives full of faith-filled action. But lives who've been captured by the grace of God are also lives of faith-filled waiting because they know the character of the Redeemer who acts. These ladies wait because they trust in Boaz. Some of us probably have a tendency to one or the other, I reckon. Some of us perhaps are people who, who see that as lost people somewhere and we just want to go and we just want to plant a church and we just want to get things started. <laughs> That's me. Others of us probably tend more towards where people want to wait. Wait and see what the Lord will do. We need both of those things. The chapter began with a hope of home, a hope of rest, and it ends with a redeemer who will not rest. See, for the Christian, we are able to rest. We're able to wait. Because you know our Redeemer who acts for us. We wait to enter into the eternal rest we have in Christ. We wait for the redemption of our bodies. We wait for the wedding day of the Lamb. We wait. Because you know that the Lord is working. That he will not stop until he works out his plan of salvation for the nations. In the everyday events of our lives. Because as Christians... We are people who have experienced the sovereign God's grace. It means that we are able to live faithful lives. That means we act in faith. We take risks. It means that we also live faithful lives that wait for the Lord, knowing it is he who acts. And we do this knowing that even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. Because nothing we see in Ruth is wasted in our lives in his good plan of salvation. Let me pray. Our Father, you are the one who is sovereign. You are the one who is faithful to your word. And so I pray, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts. We forgive our debtors 
lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's stand and sing our last song together.